podcast with Patrick Attaway, my podcast where I discuss writing, specifically today, W.B. Welch's writing as we get into her poetry collection, Wet Water. I read this all in one sitting not that long ago, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. And since I had her on the podcast last week, and I mentioned how I would like to read it on the podcast, she gave me the go-ahead. So that is our agenda for today. The opening poem of wet water is three lines and each poem is numbered this is number one fuck me fuck me fuck me on to number two thick oil spreads across my skin it sparks a flame and sends signals to every cell in my body the room vibrates my topography changes i lick my lips This land is yours without question, yielding fruits, lean to be plucked by your fingers, your center, my center. We come together in the cool breeze. We feel like we can't breathe. You know I'm yours without hearing it. We are nearing it. All cool has left the room. You know I'm yours. I say it. The tempo changes. High decibels block out all else. Slick contact, hearts pounding. I pull you in, let go of my own dormancy. Lava, meant to sear and scar, only brings new beginnings with you. I watch the molten fluid harden. So, what are we to surmise that this is all about? With the first poem just being the lines, fuck me, fuck me, fuck me. And then there's this imagery of oil spreading across skin and flames, lava, yielding fruits. What is this all about? I, I want to go out on a limb here and say this is about sex. Do you think that this is about sex? I, I don't know. Do you think this is about sex? Yeah, this is about sex. And I have to say, anytime I read poetry about sex, and I've written a few poems about sex. In fact, most of the poems I started out writing were about sex because I was in my early 20s and that was on my mind. Hell, I may have even been 19 when I started writing poetry. I was listening to a lot of Ardo Lindsay in those days, And if you're unaware of Ardo Lindsay, he is a punk, post-wave, Brazilian, bossa nova artist. He's a white guy that was born in Virginia. But he has combined all these different genres to make very interesting music. And in an interview, he was asked, why are all your songs about sex? And he says, it's very easy to write about sex. There's a huge difference between what W.B. Welch is doing here and what Ardo Lindsay was doing or what I was doing or what erotica authors do. And as you know, I'm not against erotica, but there is a sensibility within erotica that differs from poetry. And with poetry, 
you can get away with things that you really can't get away with in regular prose in your fiction writing. We have a series of lines here. We come together in the cool breeze. We feel like we can't breathe. I pull you in, let go of my do- own dormancy. Lava meant to sear and scar only brings new beginnings with you. I watch the molten fluid harden. Uh, I might be wrong. Don't quote me on this, but this whole lava business, is this semen? Is this cum? What is this? But the imagery behind this, only meant to sear and scar, yeah, real lava, it'll kill you if you touch it. I mean, come on. But the reasoning, the biological reasoning behind this exchange of fluids is to procreate and create children, of course. So once you do that, there's no real going back. I think wet water is important as a work because it explores a woman's sensuality. And that is something that's important to literature in general. Let's get into number three. I'm the bee who flies into the bird's beak. I am the roots that grow deep, sacrificing all hope of warm rays to ensure the tree stands strong. I am the worker ant toiling away only to serve the queen. I must see her contented. I am the rocks in the riverbed, slowly wearing, losing all edges just to feel the water flow past. I am the dew clinging on at first light, waiting to wade when the sun finds its full potential. I am the mountain peak covered in snow, enduring isolation and cold just to find myself in the clouds. I am the echo hanging on to the tail of the final words you spoke. I am for you. We're all serving multiple masters. We serve our spouse, we serve our boss, our job, our family, our necessities in life. I think the poem takes a turn when we get to I am the rocks in the riverbed, slowly wearing, loses all, losing all edges just to feel the water flow past. I get the sense that the speaker, if we, even if we take W.B. Welch and what I know about her out of the equation, I get the sense that the speaker is a mother. So maybe this poem is about despite the fact that the world goes on and it expects you to go on with it, you have to participate in society, you have to work a job, you have to take care of your kids, you still have an obligation to yourself, and if you're in a relationship, you have an obligation to your partner. And just because you're a mom, just because you are almost a slave to a job, It doesn't mean that you have to lose your sensuality. Poem number four. It wasn't the leaves on her dress or the moss between my toes that woke me up. It was my moist fingertips. I could no longer ignore the wetness. In poem number five, we get a little bit further into the line between imagery and just pure sexual reality. You split the seam beneath my knee and told me not to go. You said your heart was tender. You said that I should know. I didn't mean to twist the blade causing it to gape. 
I didn't mean to slice the vein. Now all your blood's escaped. I tried to catch it with my hands, my clumsy fingers, let it through. Now I'm stuck in the stark hallway, and all I, t I can taste is you. Poem number six. I don't want it. I said I don't, and I mean it. You never listen. You always think I'm teasing. You grin and hold me close. Your gin is in my nose. I inhale and enjoy every dissolved molecule melting in my receptors. I'm stimulated. Your cigarettes and alcohol make me think of your lips. I want your kiss. But I still don't want it. Just slide inside me and pretend you aren't there. Pretend I'm not there. Just feel me and you and me and you. But I still don't want it. Number seven, do it again. In a book of poetry like this, there's more than just a theme throughout them. There's a narrative of sorts. And when I read it, I try to figure out what our speaker, perhaps you could refer to them as our protagonist, what are they, what are they feeling through all this? What do they want? What do they not want? What is driving them? I mean, we get to poem number eight. I watch the waves. They mirror and hide, reveal and contain. What's beneath the surface? I know I am only seeing a silhouetted image distorted beyond recognition in the peaks and valleys of its surface. It can't be helped. The ocean is doing its job. The water exists inside of its own condition. For all the space in the universe cannot explain why it's here. And I love it for no other reason. That's probably not a poem about the ocean, of course. We have a question of what's motivating the speaker. What is the speaker's desire? And I feel at this point, after having read this before and getting to this poem, that there's a fear of that desire and what it might mean, or perhaps feeling enslaved to it and not being able to control it, because that is supposed to be your escape from everything, and yet sensuality in itself can be a burden. Let's jump over to 10. I'm in the desert without clothes, relentless wind further strips water from my skin. I shouldn't eat, but I'm hungry. Survival hinges on how well I can balance. I take two bites. My stomach welcomes the teas. Instead of finding satiation, a pit is formed. A writhing monster cries for more. I need to wait. I need water. My eyes look over the meal. Every glisten, every divot, every line feels personal. I take it in my hands, bring it close to my face. The smell makes me lightheaded. My will is fading. I find justification. A beautiful oasis waits on the other side. I'm sure it does. It will rain just after I find shelter for the night. I'm sure it will. With a deep inhale, I part my lips and take it in. Two, three, four more bites. I chew. The mastication releases all of the juices meant to excite my taste buds. I salivate. I swallow. My body vibrates. Tense muscles loosen. Carry the momentum, I finish the meal, then lie on the ground with my hands on my stomach, satisfied, filled. 
As the sun passes noon, I find my footing, then continue my journey. I must find water. I want to eat again soon. We're living in this interesting age. There's this show on Netflix, and I tweeted about it, and I later deleted my tweet just because it wasn't getting much traction. I delete a lot of tweets. But there's this show on Netflix, it's called Sex Life, and the writing on it is terrible. Fifty Shades of Grey, I won't say it falls in the same category, but it falls in the same category because it's appealing to the same audience. Maybe not through the same means, but it does appeal to the same audience. And Fifty Shades of Grey is also very poorly written. And you could trace that back to Twilight. Twilight also has moments of sensuality that's written by someone almost as if they've never had sex before. Now, mind you, I am not aligning W.B. Welch with these works. What I'm getting at is that sexuality has been suppressed in our society for a very long time. Even now, I feel it whenever I even tweet remotely about sex. There are a lot of people who don't respond to it, who ignore it, or they respond negatively to it. In fact, as a man, as a straight white male, I feel that there's a fine line between me expressing my desires publicly and being a pig. And that's perfectly fine. But there are a lot of men out there who are not cisgendered white straight men who are able to do so freely. There are a lot of women out there who are able to do so freely. But we still live in a society that discourages the open expression of sexuality and often PDA, whether it's hugging or kissing or whatever in public. As such, we are holding these desires in. They're bubbling up. So people are trying to get creative about how they can either express it or, in the case of Sex Life or Fifty Shades of Grey, make money off of it. There's even porn that is now directly made for women. And it's interesting in that the porn market has usually been for men, and yet someone thought, you know what, we should make porn especially for women. We're taught at an early age that we're supposed to hide our sexuality, our desire for sex. We're supposed to do all that behind closed doors. And what that often does is it, it leads us to feel shame in what we, we want or what we desire. So if someone wants a lot of sex, but they have other obligations in the world, maybe they have a job, kids, what have you, they feel shame in wanting that sex or participating too much in sex. I have a lot of references to Louis C.K. throughout my life, but Louis has a whole bit about how it's our favorite thing, but we feel the need to hide it. It's our favorite thing, but we cover it up. We wear clothes. We try not to talk about it. We're shamed for talking about it, but it's our favorite thing. If we read 12, we can get that sensibility. I can see you see me. 
The dark is where I hide my warts and gray hairs. See, we have this sense of shame. You're not allowed to bring in light, but you do. There's this saying in the South that people would get upset at you if they found out you had sex with the lights on. Who the hell cares? It's nobody's business, right? You open the drapes and rearrange the furniture. You feather the dust and sweep until no more granules remain between your feet and the grained floor. The smooth walking leads to smooth dancing. I take your hand. You spin my skirt. My breath gets caught somewhere in the trail. You inhale and take it all in. Your skin reassures that you're in this with me. I count your pores as you stare at the ceiling van. We get a little deeper with poem 18. It was easy when it was just sex, but my heart got involved. And now I can't get you off my mind. I've gone blind. I can't see anyone but you. We'll make it through this wave of ticks and talks. I'll watch you wade into the deep end. I hope you know how to swim. In the early stages of a relationship, we sometimes feel that we are in love with someone. It's this really intense feeling. You're always wanting to have sex with them. They're all you can think about. Even when you masturbate, you're thinking of them. Well, I have come to realize that that is very much not what love is. It is our brains making us feel like we cannot live without someone because we feel the need to mate with them. Now, a lot of people would probably disagree with me on that. But those early desires that you feel in a relationship driving you to have sex are a very natural biological feeling. And a lot of people run away from that because they feel shame in it. Some people think that that is the end-all, be-all, therefore that is what love is. No. It is purely there to make you feel like you want to have sex and breed. It's sort of like the theory of pheromones where you can find attraction to someone through just their smell. And any close relationship I've ever had, I have enjoyed that person's smell immensely, even when they smell bad. So I've been in relationships, very, very brief relationships, mind you, where we got along, I was attracted to them initially, but something about that smell, like it wasn't working for me. Either they didn't have a smell at all to me or I found it unappealing. You get to where you feel addicted to someone as if they get you off better than anyone else. It took me most of my life to realize that people that I thought I loved, I didn't love, that I was being persuaded by that biological nature within myself. I had a very natural desire that needed to be fulfilled. And we all have that. And people are afraid to talk about it. Let's get to poem 20. The hole in the yard wasn't so noticeable anymore. I'd learned to go around as grass wore down on my varying paths. Emerging trails reminded me why I had taken those steps to begin with. 
I walked toward the hole's cliffed edge. I couldn't see inside. I didn't need to, want to, like a true glutton. I stepped over the edge. The fall captured my air. I closed my eyes and embraced the sensation. Whirling wind made my hair dance. My limbs tingled as adrenaline surged through my system. I tried not to think of the approaching ground. Resistance left my body as the dark took me in. Okay, by show of hands, nobody shout out at once. How many of you have ever felt depressed or sad as a result of being in love with someone? Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's what I thought. Have you ever felt that you were embracing that depression or that sadness as a result of that love? As if this is what being in love is all about. There's some romantic, poetic essence to that sadness. So, it took me a long time past my mid-twenties, really, to realize love is not supposed to make you feel like shit. Okay? You're supposed to find happiness in someone, not someone to sit around and feel shitty all the time. That's what I thought love was when I was a teenager. Up until my early twenties. And... When I wouldn't feel that with someone, I wouldn't want to be with them. I would often feel guilty for not wanting to be with them, and I'd feel depressed as a result of that. Poem 22 is just, Why can't I think when I'm horny? 23 is, Fuck me until I feel sane. 24. Days merge into a never-ending loop. Weeks play the same game of repeat. Months dance around like they make a difference. Years fold into themselves. Decades pass in a beat. Yet, my heart still races when your fingertips brush my flesh. Goosebumps rush to the surface when your breath tickles my ear. Delicate pastel skin flushes red when you kiss my neck, chest, breast. I moisten, soften, beckon. Your hardness makes me forget time. Can we make this rhyme, or are we merely meant to dance? 26. My heart, your lips. My soul, your dick. My energy, your cum. My love, your fun. Number 27 is where we get a little bit of a turn. And that's where things get really interesting for me. You are a pain in my thigh. I can't lie. I'm scared to have a good stretch. I can't imagine not feeling you there, but the promise of free movement tempts. I take a deep breath in, out, in, out. Should we try the corpse pose? You know how it goes. Once this starts, it won't stop. So I'll try this yoga, but it means eventually I'll have to let you go. There's a fear in getting on with your life and trying to fit someone in. There's a fear that you will lose them or you'll lose that feeling. 
I remember when I was in high school and I would get depressed because I couldn't talk to my girlfriend during the day. And in retrospect, I was just a sorry sack of shit, you know. And I had this fear that if I let her linger too long, that she would find someone else because we were in a long-distance relationship, which shouldn't have lasted as long as it did. And realistically, what I didn't want to admit to myself was that I had feelings and desires that were not being met in this long-distance relationship, and therefore I wanted to linger. And I never cheated on my girlfriend, but there were moments where I really wanted to. Because I was a teenager. I wanted to fucking have sex and have fun with girls, but throughout high school I was committed to this girl in another state. And then yeah, we lived together for about five years, but Jesus Christ, if I had to do it all over again, I would have never have been in that relationship. And I think that we both would have been better off for it because we both wanted to do things. And I'm not going to say anything bad about her or what she did in that other state, but... There's that that fear that if you let go of that passion, that they're not going to want you anymore. You're not going to want them anymore. You're going to want something else. When we get to poem 28, I can't fucking win with you. It doesn't matter what I say or what I do. You always find a way to push the ocean back to low tide. I can't ride this wave of madness, but I do. You push and I fall. I stay there and crawl. Then you dig your hand into my core. How does my liver taste? I'll let you dine until you're done, then ask if you want seconds. Of course you do. Because you can't fucking win with me either. Poem 29. What was it all for? you go back a few episodes and listen to Ellen, that short story that I wrote about a girl I was with for literally a month, um, our relationship was a lot like that. It was very sexual and almost happy for two weeks, and it would go on and on and on and on and on and on, but there was something substantial missing. And I think it was because we wanted two different things. And I was fucked in the head. I was still recovering from massive mental trauma. But that's kind of where we're getting here, isn't it? Sick people tend to find other sick people. And we think that we can make each other better. And often we're chasing feelings, whether it's sexual, whether it's eating, drinking, all sorts of things, and excess. And it's that excess that gets us into trouble because once we've gone over the line, once the cup is overfilled, 
We get to poem 30, and the opening line is, I'm circling the drain. And that's very much what this all could be about. I don't know if W.B. Welch intended this to come off the way that I'm interpreting it for everyone, but when you have this rising of erotic poems, they're not pornographic poems, but they're poems inspired by sex, intense sex, often things that we are romanticizing in our head because, I mean, if you take a very objective perspective on sex, it's just kind of boring. I mean, it's not supposed to be boring when you're in in the midst of it, but it's interesting that we watch pornography, isn't it? Because it's just in and out, in and out, in and out, in and out, over and over. So what is it that's attracting us to this? And if you go that objective about it, well, you might as well just be watching popcorn pop in the microwave. I'm circling the drain. What are you but the mass of hair clumped and floating along behind me? Number 31, I'll never see you again. No, no. <laughs> here's, a, here's another turn here. Number 32, I'm just kidding. I don't mean any of that. I want to fuck your brains out. Obviously, I'm not reading every poem in here, and I'm not going to read the ending. But we're getting close, and number 34 is a poem that I must read. It's not what I thought. Isn't that so often the case? Yes. But a budding mind doesn't know that. Naivety and hard lessons are a rite of passage. It's not what I thought. My preconceived notion of the path was so wrong. Perfect pink petals don't exist. It's not what I thought. The treat-laden trail actually was missing breadcrumbs. The stepmother really was evil. The prince really was sent away. I see why the princess always had a trial to face before she could realize her happy ending. Life is hard. It's not what I thought. But maybe I'm thankful. Maybe the depth and wisdom I'm grateful for would be otherwise absent. But who are we... But as some of our experiences, it's not what I thought. But maybe I'm grateful. Grateful for the contrast. So many trails have intertwined with mine. What might I have lost to have forgone a tear? So it's not what I thought. I think it's better. There are days when I think that I wish it would be it would be better for me and everyone else in my life if I could go back and make changes. And then I think about how all the pain in my life has made me who I am. I even once told my, my mother that she should have aborted me and that her life would have been better with, without me, that my parents would have been better off if they had never met. And in a sense, I think that would have been true, except they still could have fucked up their lives in some other way. I could still fuck up my life in some other way. So, in many ways, 
the choices that we make, if we feel that they're the right choice, we could just be biding our time and then later find out that, no, we made the wrong choice. And when we're dead, will it really matter? Are we going to have a time after death where we reflect on it, regret something? I doubt it. I mean, there's nothing you can change at that point. So... I don't want to get too deep and philosophical on you guys, but I do believe that there's an afterlife. I have had experiences with apparitions and ghosts in my life. I've had unexplained experiences. And at the same time, while I think it's possible for those to have been figments of my imagination, because the brain is capable of a great many things... I hear of other people and their experiences. I hear of people who once had doubt, who now believe in something. Not necessarily a god, not necessarily an afterlife, but they believe something is there. So how did I get from wet water, which is mostly about sensuality, but at the same time, maybe not, just because some of the poems are about sex. It's leading to something, is it not? But is it leading to a greater question into the meaning of life, our existence, feeding our desires, and then having to deal with the outcomes of those desires? Well, we are but walking sacks of trauma. So what is that all going to mean when we're dead? It's not going to mean anything. So this life is essentially all that we have in terms of dealing with the things that bother us. So why do we let those things bother us? Why do we toil and boil in our trauma, our depression, our lust, our desires? I keep coming back to that word. We often never get to realize our full desires. There are many things that I never got to experience, that I probably never will. I made the decision to get married. I don't regret that decision. And I don't know that I ever really would have done the things that I wanted to do had I been single. And I'm not talking about going to see the fucking Grand Canyon. I'm not talking about going to see the world. I'm talking about essentially people I would have wanted to have sex with, I guess. Because here's the thing, and I've talked about this before. When I was an undergrad, I was an idiot because I was surrounded by attractive people and I didn't realize it at the time. And I spent a lot of time feeling sorry for myself and depressed. And well, when I started grad school and I looked around the campus as I walked around, it's like, God damn, I was an idiot. All these people are so pretty. I could have had so much more fun if I just loosened up. And But that really, that, that really wouldn't have been me. It really wouldn't have. So these moments that I've had where I can relate to this book, Wet Water, that's really a very special feeling isn't it that intense desire 
that intense feeling of what you think is love. I think that I feel things that I am rare and that I'm able to feel certain things, certain emotions more intensely than others. And it's bittersweet. And there are, of course, negative outcomes to some of that, for sure. Some scars. But I can look at those scars and tell myself that I learned something. And now and then I'll think about a conversation I've had with my wife or some argument that we've had or an experience with someone else and I'll be grateful that I have her because I love her very much. And sometimes we just kind of have to remind ourselves of that. So listen, I've got a new way for you to support me in the podcast. And it won't cost you anything. Get on Amazon. You don't have to have a Kindle to do this. There's this thing called Kindle Vela. I've mentioned it before. Again, you don't need a Kindle for this. I have a new series of short stories, and I also have a solo short story. The series is called Nero, Avenging New America. And then there's She Calls Me Daddy, which is a short story that I read previously on the podcast. And you can read the finished version for free on Amazon. Nero is very important and dear to me. I don't know if it's good. But I wrote it this year in May and early June. And I didn't intend to essentially write a novella, but it is a short series about the character Nero fully realizing his desires as a vigilante in Atlanta. And I am going to read the first part, maybe the first two parts of that series on the podcast next week and we'll just get into it like we always do but I hope that you decide that you enjoy the podcast and therefore you're going to go listen to the other episodes this is episode 80 of the podcast and it's crazy that I've gotten this far and I'm glad I've gotten this far I figured at some point I would have given up in the first year but this gives me something to work on every weekend and I enjoy it So, this has been Patrick Attaway with Demise of the Podcast. Happy weekend. Happy reading.